Oh, Father, um, we need your help to see ourselves as we are, to see you as you have revealed yourself to be, uh, to know that you in your perfect love and mercy sent your son to call sinners to repentance. Uh, Father, help us to see ourselves as called to leave it all to follow Jesus. We pray these things in his mighty name. Amen. Years ago, I had the opportunity to join with a uh, ministry that was doing outreach in one of the most difficult neighborhoods in inner city Chicago. Um, One of the places that had super sky high murder rates year after year. Uh, This particular ministry was focused on young men specifically, trying to keep guys from joining gangs or get them to leave the gang life and to meet Jesus. Well, one particular time I was sitting there and I happened to be sitting on the porch and I looked down the street and I realized just a couple blocks away, there was this beautifully put together historic church that just dominated the scene. And I I called the missionary over and I said, wow, I I hadn't noticed that uh, on the way in. That must be very strategic, having a church right there. I mean, you guys must take the guys to church and do outreaches with them, right? And he got a look on his face. And he said, oh, no, they gave up on these boys a long time ago. Uh, they've made it clear they're not welcome there. Now, it's a hard, hard thing to hear. Uh, I hope your heart hurts at the thought of a church that would not welcome sinners to come hear the good news of repentance and salvation in Jesus. And, and yet, that's not just a problem for that church in the inner city of Chicago. And it's not just a, a problem for churches in our day. In fact, It's a problem that religious hearts have had for at least 2,000 years. Uh, In fact, Luke has written the account for us this morning to show us just this mindset on full display. Uh, The thought that you have to stay away to stay in the kingdom. That you have to somehow separate yourself in order to remain pure and right in God's sight. And yet, as we'll see, Jesus has such a different heart and such a different mission. Uh, Jesus doesn't try and stay away to stay in. Jesus draws close to draw others in. He's not here to congratulate the righteous. He's here to call sinners to repentance. Uh, That's what we'll see in two scenes to one story. Uh, Jesus revealing himself as a friend of sinners. Uh, Those two scenes are as follows. First, in 27 through 28, we'll see Jesus calling a bankrupt man. Calling a bankrupt man. Then in 29 through 32, we'll see Jesus curing sick sinners. Jesus curing sick sinners. Uh, In all of this, I hope we'll see that Jesus came to call us sinners to repentance. Let's begin in that first section, 27 through 28. Jesus calling a bankrupt man. Uh, Jesus has just been doing miracles. At this point, he's getting more and more popular. Luke doesn't bother telling us the location of where Jesus is right now because this is not an issue of location. The question of this section is one of association. Who will Jesus hang out with? Well, as Jesus is walking around, he came upon a perfectly normal scene. Along the roadway, there is a toll booth with a tax collector. Now, I'm sure you don't love toll booths today. None of us do, even though we have those transponder things that we can zip by. 
Um, but toll booths back then were even worse news. Um, there was a system the Romans had set up to get their taxes that people were not all that pleased with. Uh, the Romans didn't themselves collect the taxes. They, they farmed that out. Uh, they let uh, people called publicans buy the right to collect taxes. So Rome would say, you just bring me this amount of money and you can collect taxes however you want. So as you might expect, the people who did that, the publicans, uh, they decided to collect as many taxes as they possibly could to make a big profit. So an entire system was built of tolls and levies and various ways to nickel and dime you, and they all added up to death by taxes. Now as a result, if you were willing to work for the publicans, you could make yourself rich, but it would cost you all of your relationships. Uh, to be a tax collector meant that you would be kicked out of your synagogue if you were a Jew. It meant that no one in polite society would speak to you. It probably meant that most family members would pretend you didn't exist. You could gain the whole world, but in a sense, it would cost you your soul. Oh, well, that's the lot of a tax collector. And the scene has Jesus walking along, seeing a tax collector on the road, a very normal scene. I have to think that this tax collector, who goes by the name of Levi, was probably used to seeing the crowds go by, most of them avoiding his gaze, and the ones that did, giving him the evil eye. But something different was about to happen to Levi. Uh, we're told that Jesus saw him. Commentary I was reading said that there's a, a nuance to that term for seeing there. It's not like an intense gaze. It's not just a glance. This is Jesus looking at him. Maybe he even feels like he's looking through him. It's no accident because this is actually the type of guy that Jesus is after. He's found who he's looking for. Uh, he's looking intensely at Levi. And then this first surprise of the passage comes. He says, follow me. Now, anyone who knew anything about rabbis back then knew that was not how the game was played. Uh, rabbis were not in the business of picking up a gutter dweller to come hang out with them. No, rabbis played the game of uh, prestige via association. Who you hang out with determines who you are in people's eyes. So you hung out with the best and the brightest in the hopes that one day they would be wonderful, well-respected teachers, and your name would grow even more famous. But that's not the sort of rabbi that Jesus is going to be. Not after the prestige or the power or to even play by the social rules. Uh, Jesus has a very different understanding of what he's called to do. And so he calls this tax collector, a morally bankrupt man, to come and be one of his disciples. Now realize at this point that Levi has a fork in the road. He has a choice before him that is rather stark. Surely by now he has gotten used to being on the outside, socially, relationally. Certainly he's gotten used to the wealth that he's accumulating by his tax collector vocation. Uh, to, to follow Jesus would mean leaving behind his ledgers and his money bags and all the security that comes with it. There would be no going back once he abandoned his post. And yet, I have to think that Levi must have been starting to think about what he might gain if he left it all behind. 
if he would answer the call and leave it all and walk with Jesus. Maybe, just maybe, he would find something more valuable than all the money that he could pile up. Well, in a, what undoubtedly was a great bit of faith, that's exactly what he does. We're told he left everything and rose and followed him. There's a place right in the border with Tennessee, Kentucky, Virginia, called the Cumberland Gap. Uh, the Cumberland Gap was really important back in the 1600s. Uh, back then, the Appalachian Mountains were a really formidable set of obstacles if you were trying to get from the south to the north or vice versa. So if you were trying to go in a covered wagon, your choice was to spend months going around the mountains, one of the few passes, or you could go straight through this, this narrow cave, a place they called the Cumberland Gap. Uh, but there was one catch. You see, the, the Cumberland Gap was so tight, so narrow, that you couldn't get your stuff through it. Uh, and people that have gone and looked at the original site of the Cumberland Gap have noted how there's lots of discarded wagons and backpacks and foodstuffs. All the stuff people were carrying and suddenly they realized, if I, if I want to follow this road, I've got to leave it all behind. Oh, that's the decision that Levi had to make. Is this road of discipleship following Jesus worth leaving it all behind? And praise be to God, he made the right choice. He followed Jesus. And as he found, as everyone who has ever followed Jesus has found, he gained far more than he ever lost. Uh, Dr. Phil Riken mentions that it's very likely that Levi is the disciple that goes by the name of Matthew, that Maybe Jesus renamed him. And that name, Matthew, actually means gift from God. Think about that. A morally bankrupt tax collector is now a gift from heaven because he walked with Jesus. Now, that's one of the things that we have to come to grips with if we decide we want to walk with Jesus. Both the cost of what we'll leave behind and the great reward of what we'll gain. Uh, maybe you're here this morning and you're not a Christian. I wonder if you've been looking at Jesus from afar. Maybe you have Christians you know, or maybe you've visited churches from time to time and thought what it would be like that if you were one of the people that called themselves Christians. Uh, I'm glad you've been able to observe and whatever you've learned, that's wonderful. But realize at some point, you have to make up a choice. Will you answer the call and leave it all to follow Jesus? Uh, Jesus, he dares to tell you that all the things you've been trusting in your life, in your future, are, fools, uh, are, are, are foolish things to put your trust in. Uh, that all the moral virtue that you think characterizes your heart, or all the things that you think are praiseworthy about yourself, that in God's sight, they're worth absolutely nothing. Uh, the Bible declares that you are a sinner. And they, that means that you are in need of a savior. Uh, Jesus calls you to leave behind the sins that have characterized your life and to trust him in faith. To, to trust him to pay for your sins by dying on the cross and to trust him to transform your life, to make you into someone new. Uh, friend, you can go from a Levi to a Matthew. Uh, from someone who's morally bankrupt in God's sight to someone who is a gift from God. If you'll put your trust in Jesus. You could do that today if you, 
If you feel the, the, if you hear that call in your heart, don't ignore it. Answer it and leave it all behind to to follow Jesus. Uh, Now, if we're Christians here this morning, for all of us who call on the name of Christ, I think this has a big implication for the way we understand preaching the gospel. Uh, I hope you're thinking about sharing the good news of Jesus with non-Christian friends. I hope that's something that you are regularly seeking to do and praying the Lord would help you do. One of the things that we need to get good at is not just telling people the good news, but also including the bad news. And I'm not just talking about the bad news of sin in a broken world. I'm talking about the cost of discipleship. Uh, Jesus was in the pattern when people started coming to him to join him as disciples to make sure they understood what they were signing up for. Uh, Levi's an example of someone He understood he needed to have a clean break with his old life to follow Christ. Now, I know we want people to accept Christ, and oftentimes we feel like if we tell the whole story, maybe it would make it more difficult for them to embrace him. But brothers and sisters, if if Jesus did it this way, then we should too. I point out the apostles did the same thing. Uh, You tell people about the persecutions. uh, You tell them about the difficulties, but you tell them about a Savior that's worth every one of them. The greatest treasure for our souls is Jesus, and he's worth leaving everything for. Uh, So maybe even over Easter, you find yourself talking with someone. Don't shy away from telling them that to follow Jesus will mean leaving it all to answer the call of Christ. All right, that first scene shows us Jesus calling a bankrupt man, Levi. But there's a second scene here, because it turns out Levi's journey is just beginning. And in this scene, we see Levi doing what so many believers in Jesus have done down through the ages, introducing other sinners to him as well. Uh, Second, we see Jesus curing six sinners in 29 through 32. Uh, Levi was undoubtedly a man with some means. Being a tax collector was lucrative. And so that meant he lived in a big house. And he had the ability to throw a big old party to make a big deal about Jesus. Uh, We're told in 29, he throws a great feast in his house. Uh, That's not the unusual part. The unusual part is the guest list. Levi goes and invites every single tax collector that he knows. Uh, You've got sinners by the dozen. You've got morally bankrupt people as far as the eye can see, all jammed into a house party. And who is right at the center? of this party full of sin-sick sinners? None other than Jesus. Uh, We're told that Jesus is reclining at table with them. Jesus is not only hanging out with them, he's getting close. And he's extending his hand of fellowship to, to the people that no one else would want to even talk to. Now, in that shocking scene, we we certainly see Jesus' heart on display. We'll come back to that in a second. But almost as if you can feel the camera pan back, Luke tells us that someone disapproved of what was going on. Look at verse 30. And the Pharisees and their scribes grumbled at his disciples, saying, Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? Uh, You can almost picture them looking through the window with a scowl on their face. Just who does Jesus think he is? Uh, Doesn't he know the game? Stay away to stay in? 
You don't get near sinners, lest you become one of them. Uh, the Pharisees were experts at this form of religious sanctification by association. Uh, they knew that to be around the right people was to be right with God, or so they thought. And here Jesus was, breaking every single one of their rules. Now, they don't even have the courage to confront Jesus themselves at this point. They will do that later. Uh, but for now, they grumble to his disciples. Uh, that word for grumble is the same word that's used. The Greek translation of the Israelites grumbling in the Old Testament it is a discontent, a sinful discontent. They're asking him, well, why would a rabbi like Jesus hang out with low lives like this? And then Jesus, as he often does, even when people don't speak directly to him or even don't even speak it loud, somehow he hears about it and he responds. He responds, revealing both their hearts and his heart. Uh, first in 31, he reveals their heart. He does so by way of a proverbial saying, those who are well have no need of a physician but those who are sick. Now, not all that much has changed in medicine in 2,000 years. Um, sure, they didn't have MRIs and antibiotics, all that sort of stuff, but this much was still the same. Doctors were for sick people. That still was the way it worked, right? Um, so at one level, you think Jesus is saying is like a duh statement, like, okay, Jesus, of course. Sick people are the ones that need physicians. Uh, but, but Jesus has a layer beneath it. Um, I think it's easier to understand if we talk about something slightly to the side of it. Um, if you watch any TV at all these days, chances are you've seen one of those commercials, very formulaic commercials about medicines. Um, you know the ones I'm talking about? Uh, medicine, some ridiculously difficult name to say for some reason. That seems like a bad marketing strategy, but whatever. Uh, and the, the, the actual commercial has this unnaturally happy group of people in all these idyllic scenes. They're like on the beach frolicking. They're throwing white sheets in the air. And it's just, it's ridiculous, right? And while all that's going on, there's this disconnect because the narrator is telling you about this horrible condition and this medicine and then this long list of even worse side effects and you're like, just TMI, I don't, I don't want to listen to this. If you're like me, once you've seen one of these commercials, the next time they come on, like two seconds in, I'm done. I'm on Twitter, I'm looking at my phone, I'm getting a drink. I'm not paying attention to the commercial. Why? Well, it's because if you don't have the condition, you're not interested in the cure. Uh, it'd be a very different thing if that commercial was for some illness that I was suffering with. At that point, that idyllic scene might look really good. And the information of that narrator might be something I was longing to hear. That's Jesus' point. If you don't think you have the condition, you'll never want the cure. Uh, he's telling the Pharisees, uh, you, you misunderstand the situation here. Uh, you don't want what I'm selling, but they do. Uh, you don't feel your need for me, but they do. I'm a doctor, and I'm here for people that know that they're sick on the inside in their hearts. Now, in case they were to miss what it was he was saying, in verse 32, he just comes out and spells it out. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners 
to repentance. Uh, this is the third mission statement of Jesus so far in Luke's gospel. And th this theme that Jesus is here to help the people that no one else will help. Uh, this is coming to the forefront. Jesus is a savior for sinners. And he does that by calling them to repentance. Now, brothers and sisters, this has everything to say to us as a church and to each of us as individual Christians. Uh, because Jesus' mission statement is precisely the mission statement he's given his followers as we preach the gospel as a church. We need to remember that Jesus didn't come to celebrate supposedly righteous people. He came to call sinners to repentance. And that means that churches, they're not places for put, to pe put together people to get together. Uh, they are places where sinners get together to find the cure for what ails them. To find Jesus and his forgiveness and his grace. Um, it's so unfortunate that so many people have come to this idea that churches are really for people that have their lives together. Uh, maybe you've ever so invited someone to church and they've told you something like that. Oh, I'm so glad that's good for you, but I just don't think that's for me. Uh, I'm not ready to live a life like that. Uh, they misunderstand what a church is. Now, unfortunately, at times, Christians have given that impression because we've bought into that bit of misinformation that you've got to stay away in order to stay in with God. Uh, back in the 1800s, there's was a guy by the name of William Booth. He was a good Methodist. And at this point, the Methodists had gotten really well established. No longer were they uh, the religious rebels of their days, they had very well-established churches and very affluent congregations. And Mr. Booth was a member of one of those congregations in London. Well, he had a heart for the people that no one else would touch, for the street dwellers, the homeless, the poor, uh, people stuck in all sorts of vices that so desperately needed Jesus. So one Sunday, he decided to go do something about it. Uh, he went out on the streets and started rounding up anyone that wanted to come and invited them to come with him to church. He brought them to this impressive, well-put-together building filled with well-put-together people. And the moment when he opened the doors into that mid-service congregation, well, there was an audible gasp. A rabble of about a dozen people were ushered in to some of the finest spots in the sanctuary invited to sit down and sit under the preached word. Well, pretty soon, Mr. Booth figured out that the congregation was not ready to invite these people in. And in fact, the pastor himself came up to him and let him know that people like this aren't welcome in a place like this. Because you've got to stay away if you're going to stay in with God. Keep away from those sinners well, Mr. Booth wouldn't take that for an answer. And in fact, it started a series of conflicts between him and church leadership that would eventually have him kicked out of the church and years later lead him to start an organization you might know as the Salvation Army. Jesus has a heart for sinners of all types. Uh, he's not here to pat us on the back and tell us what a wonderful life we've lived. No, he's here to call sinners to repentance. And he means for his people to remember that they are sinners being called to repentance and to call others to the same thing themselves. Uh, do you realize this is one of the 
counterintuitive parts of the Christian life. Uh, that the more you remind yourself that you are in fact a sinner, that the more joy you will experience in Jesus. Uh, remember, if you don't think you have the condition, you won't want the cure. Uh, if there, the moments in your Christian life where you find yourself shying away from going to church, coming to a small group, reading your Bible, from being in close accountability with another Christian, somewhere that might remind you that yes, you in fact still are a sinner. At that moment, recognize that your heart is actually keeping you away from the very thing that will unleash your joy. When you come to church and we talk about the fact that we are still sinners as Christians, that, that even this week, each of us have fallen short in the thoughts we've thought and the actions we've done and the things we have not done that we should have done. We don't do that to lay a guilt trip on you or make you feel bad. But it's only because when you know you have this sin condition that you'll want the cure that Christ will provide. So brothers and sisters, find joy in the reality that yes, you are a sinner still. And yes, Jesus, he draws close to sinners to bring them what they need on the inside. Forgiveness, the power to overcome their sin and the knowledge that they are right with God. Now, the implications for us as a church are that while we should never grow tired of hearing the gospel of Jesus, that we are sinners and Christ is our savior, that we all should, must also retain our desire to draw others to him as well. Uh, imagine for an example, our local out, our outreach partner, Unite Indy. Uh, we made it one of our church goals this year to get involved with this organization that does incredible work. They come alongside men that are incarcerated and then they provide training and discipleship in an effort so that when they get out, they can hold down a job, put their life back together. And as Christians, most importantly, that they can follow Jesus. Now, let's say that in our efforts, feeble as they are, that the Lord were to establish the work of our hands and things went wildly better than we imagined. Uh, imagine our relationships flourished, think guys are changing, and then one Sunday you come to church and sitting right next to you is someone that just got out of jail that very week. How would your heart react? Uh, would part of you want to stay away? As if staying away would help you to stay in? Or would you want to draw close? To draw them in? Knowing that's Jesus' heart for sinners of all types. And that was his heart for you. Brothers and sisters, we need to be the sort of church that never gets over this reality. Uh, Jesus didn't come to commend the righteous, but to call sinners to repentance. And that includes you and I and anyone else that the Lord might let us reach. Uh, let's be faithful to preach the gospel to ourselves and to others. And to celebrate the moment when a sinner of any type comes to Christ. When they answer the call to leave it all and follow Jesus. I once had the privilege of sitting down with a guy that surprised me. I'll, I'll be, I need to confess, I've confessed to the Lord, I misjudged the brother. Uh, he walked up to me and very obviously had been sleeping on the street. And he was asking for money. And so I was immediately on my guard a bit because I've done enough of this type of work. 
uh, to know oftentimes there's more to the story. But uh, the Lord was kind enough to, to uh, move me to sit with him and listen. So I sat and I heard his story. And he had a series of hardships that resulted in him being homeless for this time. But it also turned out that he was a believer. I started asking him questions like, how, how did you become a Christian? Well, he said, well, at that point I was living on the street also. And someone came along and provided me with some food and invited me to his church. And when I went to the church, people there were welcoming. And so I kept going back. And pretty soon, I accepted Jesus. And I think of them as my brothers and sisters now. And, and in fact, here's a phone number of one of them. You can call him and ask him. And so I said, okay, I will. <laughs> so I called, and sure enough, I talked to the guy that had led him to Christ and had discipled him. And he told me the whole thing was true. All, they, all he did, he told me, all, the only thing I did was love him the way Jesus would have. And the Lord was gracious and brought him into our church. Uh, brothers and sisters, I, I pray that one day we might have stories like that amongst us. That we wouldn't stay away as if that would keep us in. That we would draw close and draw them in to meet the one who has the cure for their condition. It's like he had the cure for ours. Introduce them to Jesus, who came to call sinners to repentance. Now, in just a moment, we're going to turn our attention to a celebration Jesus gives us for each and every time when that happens, when he draws close and draws them in and a sinner turns and repents as we celebrate baptism. Let's prepare our hearts for that moment of joy and, and let's pray together. Would you join me?